You know what I just realized? Hmm. Menage a Trois Red Blend is my favorite wine to drink. You can just drink it. It's not fancy, but it tastes good. It's like the perfect flavor. It's not too acidic. It's just a nice wine to keep on hand, like your house wine. You mean like the wine that I brought from my house? It is Tara's house <laughs> wine. That's why I think I like it the most because Tara always brings it. I've shared at least, this is what, episode? I don't know. Hang episode on. something a lot. This is episode 86. So we've drunk what? What's 86 times 2? Alexa, what's 86 times 2? 86 times 2 is 172. So we've drunk about 172 bottles of this wine. Or something other. I'm just so used to it. <laughs> Sponsor us. Yeah, no, it's really good. But now I have to buy more because I don't have any more wine Because we drank house. all of it. It's fun. We finally got there. We <laughs> I drank have all zero of, wine left in my house. We drank all of the wine that Tara had <laughs> stockpiled of this red blend. <laughs> Speaking of sponsor us, Tara and I were actually just talking about what if we joined a podcast network? If you know about that, could you just hit us up, give us some info? Yeah, I might do some research. For those of you who don't know, I used to be on a board for, it was the Cleveland Association of Broadcasters. I was going to say a broadcasting board located in Cleveland, Ohio. That's what How it's many called, of the those? Cleveland Association, Association of Broadcasters. Broadcasters. <laughs> because I used to work in radio. One of my colleagues there, she works for a podcast network. Because we always make fun of ourselves for being like, sponsor us for all this random shit. But it would but kind of be fun. Sponsor us. If, I mean, if you want to sponsor us, you know our email. If you don't know, fast forward to the end of this podcast when you hear our uh, say what the email is in the outro. Also, we changed the outro this season and we didn't even mention it. I hope you guys realize that. That you don't just stop because this outro is actually good. The other one was also good. But this one has like a real nice... Flavor of our personalities in there. <laughs> in case you haven't picked up on our personalities during the episodes. I like how you say, oh, social media, sometimes I update that. That. <laughs> Which is so like, accurate because I'm really bad about it. I turn you into a water goblet. After recording this podcast, guess what you need to do? Drink some water. But also always drink water. Cleveland Water, sponsor us. I don't want to pay my bills to you anymore. But we're basic snitches. Hi, guys. We are a podcast about Harry Potter and getting drunk. Because what else is there? Well, I will tell you, we now have a new president of the United States. It's amazing. Tara's smiling right now. She's like clutching her chest. (laughs) I thought at first you thought that I was talking about theater because I'm not president of theater anymore either. So I have more time. No, I did not think that. I just had to have the moment of happiness coming with someone not trying to cause riots and terrorize the country being in charge of things i mean you don't have to go online and worry about what you're gonna see i mean yeah you do do. but like (laughs) but not to the degree of what it was like it is just a very refreshing it is a step in a better direction there's a lot of work to do on his first day the amount of protections he put in place for lgbtq plus people hello Thank you. Amazing. Nobody's perfect or anything, but just feels nice to have been able to like stream the inauguration and see a president who can like speak coherently and whatnot. It's yeah. the little things like that. The little things, you little, know. Like a president who will help us get through this pandemic. I feel like we were just asking so much. I would Apparently. like to live my life. I know that's a lot. I'm sorry. I'm going to go drink in a bar again. I mean, we sort of have during this. We, we, wine we did a little bit of wine taste. I would like to go drink in a greasy fucking dive hole in the wall piece of shit again and not feel like I'm going to have my throat ripped out by a tiny inconspicuous piece of science that I can't see with my eyes. For this episode we read... House Elf Liberation. Yes, chapter 21. Are you telling us win or lose right now? Yeah, so... 
loser is Ludo Bagman. The I feel... loser of chapter 20 is a group effort loss. Okay. The loser is everyone who fucking came up with the idea of nesting mother dragons. As I will the take adversary. that as Ludo Bagman. I will take Ludo Bagman as part of that. He was part of that, but he wasn't the only one. They I were... don't care. He's part of it. I'm happy with it. It finally <laughs> happened. Okay, but I get into this just a tiny bit more. The whole we're going to be more careful this time. You know, we have we brought this back after all of these injuries and deaths and whatever in the past. Let's talk about what happened during this task. They Gwen all, Pomfrey got mad. Gwen Pomfrey was pissed. Every one of the champions got hurt in some way or burned, except for Crumb, who inadvertently caused the death of babies. babies. Which again, I'm not blaming Crumb for, because this is fucking psycho. But this is bad news. I'm just saying, we put all these babies in danger and we lost them. And I know that they're scary, but still. Baby <laughs> dragons are probably better than baby humans. Yep, the winner is Harry. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I mean, how could he not win this fucking chapter? Well, technically he tied for first. I don't care about him tying for I first. I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Harry didn't get eaten or... I thought flambéed by a I dragon. I Harry didn't get dayed. Harry didn't get dayed. <laughs> Harry didn't get dayed, so we could. That's how that could be every single one of these books. <laughs> Except for the last one, which is Harry got dayed, but then he came back to life. Just, the Ames. That's what, this, that's what all of the books should actually be called. Harry, Harry Potter and the type he didn't get dead. Moving on, here's a thing that Tara wrote. I wrote a thing. Please read. Chapter... 21. You actually didn't write it. Oh, so. I, I, thought I, wrote, I thought I titled the document. No. Oh, you 21. may have, but I'm just in the body of it. Oh. Chapter 21, the House of Liberation Front. Harry sends Sirius a letter to tell him that he managed to escape a fate as dragon dinner, and the trio go back to the Gryffindor common room to celebrate. In true Gryffindor fashion, they are greeted by a party. After Lee Jordan asks him, Harry opens the egg for everyone to hear the clue and immediately closes it because it just screams a lot and sounds terrible. Next, we find the Gryffindors with the Slytherins and Care of Magical Creatures. Things are, as usual, not super great. The Scroots are basically terrorizing each other and the students. On top of the unpleasantness of the Scroots, Rita Skeeter shows up. Both Hermione and Harry are wary of her presence and her upcoming interview with Hagrid. But Ron cheers them up with the reminder that Dumbledore is in Hagrid's corner and also the possibility that his interview could be the end of their association with the Scroots. Followed by Care of Magical Creatures is the return to Harry and Ron being stupid teenage boys and Trelawney predicting Harry's death and divination. Hermione is nowhere to be seen at dinner and after the boys don't find her in the library, they head back towards the common room and she intercepts them just as the fat lady opens the portrait for them. She leads them away while the fat lady busts out some great sarcasm that is completely unappreciated by Ron. She leads them to the kitchens where Ron and Harry realize they must have something to do with SPVW and are a bit wary until suddenly Dobby is hugging Harry. He now works for Dumbledore. And that's not all. Dumbledore gave Winky a job too. Unlike Dobby, Winky is a mess. Hermione tries to talk to her, but she mostly just cries about missing Mr. Crouch. Fucking weir... weirio. Oh, I tried to write weirdo in case you, you sure couldn't did. figure that out. I suck. Fucking weirdo. She's a fucking weirdo. That guy sucks, Winky. Get it together. Dobby makes the other house elves nervous when he talks about getting paid for his work. 
and Hermione fails to read the room when she asks Winky about how much she makes. This is followed by more dramatic wailing as Winky and some super truths about Crouch being an ass. It's all very dramatic and uncomfortable. After some trepidation, Dobby finally admits that the Malfoys are bad wizards. He relapses into self-abuse, but Harry stops him and reminds him of his freedom. Winky admonishes Dobby for sharing the secrets of his former master and goes on to pine over her former master again. Speaking of sharing secrets, Winky lets slip that Crouch told her that Ludo Bagman is also a bad wizard. They get no more details on that little tidbit, and the trio prepare to leave, accepting the cakes and other food offered to them by the house elves, and promising to see Dobby again. They head back to the common room, discussing their visit to the kitchen while Ron digs into the snacks. Yeah, I lovely. Thing. I told you it wasn't funny, but it did tell things that happened. It wasn't funny. It was very long. I can't fucking win. What happens at the beginning of this chapter? <laughs> I just told you. You just read it. Serious writing letters. Yeah, they send a letter to Sirius. There's a lot of serious letter writing in this book. Yes. Which, uh, we always compare the book to the movie at this point. Like, while we talk, we'll concentrate on the movie more later. It's much more prevalent in the book, which I think is great because it does just continuously remind us that Sirius is part of the universe and important and a part of Harry. This time it hit me more just because... You see it a lot more. Harry's actually trying. Pidgewidgeon, I think, is like having difficulty carrying it because there's too much ink on the fucking paper. Harry's got to tell him the play-by-play. Yeah, that's true. I really hope that it's a fucking dissertation. Rubber band. Right, the fucker can't do his homework, but he can write you a 16-page paper about how he got past a dragon. Harry should journal. He should. Obviously, Ron is back in their lives now. Ron is on his best behavior. I think he's still kind of walking on eggshells, which I think is good. I think that's a sign that Ron knew that he was kind of in the wrong. Ron is very much kissing up to Harry in a kind of charming way. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. I think it is charming. It's very cute and it's also relatable. I mean, when you know that you're in the wrong and being able to say that you're in the wrong, but then also trying to patch it over the best that you can with how you act is something I think we've all done in the past when we realize that we're wrong. I think there's also some merit to this tactic that Ron is using where he's trying to be extra positive and extra encouraging and extra complimentary. There's this tactic to focusing on this more positive aspect to maybe draw from the fact that there was this negative feeling before. And instead of them dwelling on the fact that Ron was being a douchebag for all this time, Ron is jumping in and being more positive and being all of these things to make up for that, to draw away from that reminder, which is, I think, an important way to handle this kind of thing sometimes. He's acknowledging it and he's being accountable. Yeah. Accountability is a theme for 2021. Why? I mean, y'all know. Don't, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't want to be accountable for shit. Accountability. It's very important. Don't. You sound like somebody who stormed the Capitol. That's what I'm trying to get at. That was not me. If you stormed the Capitol, you would have been like that old lady who was sitting there. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, You know who I'm talking about, too, listener. It's very nice that Ron is back. They obviously completely spoil that his surprise party is happening downstairs. And it's not even like, it's completely glossed over, which I think is very clever. They go down, it's a nice party. They got lots of snacks. All the snacks. Dean Thomas made nice drawings. Dean is, is an artist. Never talk about again, and that's sad. Dean's got skills. I fucking love Dean. They're like, yay, Harry, you're the best. You have a chance to win this. 
and he's like, cool, let me open my egg. And guess what his egg does? It's just a screamy bitch. His egg has a tantrum. Me too. I'm also a screamy bitch. So they close that egg, and they're like, cool, let's start talking about the second and third task. They're talking about how, like, it couldn't get worse. It's interesting to me that that is the conclusion that they draw, because in a way, I almost feel like they're right. Like, there's something between these three tasks that is a lot more terrifying about dragons. The second one definitely has its merits. You could drown. Your friends could drown. There's a lot, like, higher stakes in that right. regard. The third task, to me, obviously it ends up being the most dangerous, but... All things considered, even all the things that are in that maze, like the Sphinx, and I think there's Ackerman, Ack, uh, the big spiders. Ackermantula. Uh, thank you. Those are up in there. The maze still doesn't seem quite as dangerous. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. So here's my response to that, because I don't think that your analysis is incorrect or along the wrong line of thinking. I think that the tasks are not necessarily to build up danger versus what they require you to do. So the first task is requiring, if they weren't all fucking cheaters, them to think on their feet and figure out how to get through this task without, you know, dying and having only their wand to get them through. The second task, they are given a clue. If they figure it out, they have time to prepare and make some sort of plan and that gives them a different type of challenge. The third task I believe is a combination of both of those things on top of just testing where you're, how far you're willing to go. And there are certain things that happen in the maze and I can't wait when we get there to talk about them, but there are certain things that happen in the maze that I think are way scarier than a dragon. And there are certain things that happen in the maze where I'm like, well, that doesn't make me feel concerned as much. Everything you said is like perfect. Like, I think that's exactly it. Sorry, uh, I'm gonna like pass out over here because he just complimented me. Oh! Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> There's probably some music playing right now. It stopped. In the last episode, we were like, oh, why did they get a hint now? Why didn't they get a hint for the first task? And I think that's why. Like, you can't start the first task unless you know what is actually going to happen and obviously when we get there harry uses gillyweed like he can't just like be like oh i have some gillyweed in my pocket here we go like you have to prepare for that whereas you're totally right the first task is about thinking on your feet and being able to in that moment decide what am i gonna do I feel like the second two is just about like navigating dark arts or whatever challenges on the fly on a larger scale. So yeah, I think that's perfect the way that you described that. That ties up any loose ends we had left in our last chapter. <laughs> well, I think that it's interesting that he does share this clue with everyone and it's all the screaming and everyone's got their little jokes about, oh, what it could mm -hmm. be. And Seamus is close. Seamus is very close. It's kind of cool. There's that little bit of a hint in there. So there's a little bit of unnerving feeling with Neville. Turning into a fucking bird. Turning into a bird. And I was talking about his reaction to the idea of it being the Cruciatus Curse. Like the first oh, thing he yeah. thinks of is that when he hears the screaming. Which is actually it's, it's clever of him to think that too, despite his trauma. Right. I mean, well, and there's a few things there. The big one is his trauma and his history that we haven't learned yet. But two, at the end of the day, Harry does get hit with the Cruciatus curse in the graveyard. Yeah, that's true. I so think... both of them are kind of like looking ahead and they're getting bits and pieces of it. I mean, obviously I'm thinking of divination. Well, but... of course. 
But of course, my favorite thing about it is there's the uh, maybe you have to attack Percy while he's in the shower. And I was like, I love that we shit on Percy and he's not He's even not even there. He's not even a part of this. Also, the why twins are you, so good at it. Why are you giving us the image of Percy in the shower? <laughs> right, I hope you're hungry because Bentley is making some biscuits. Sorry, was my arm where you needed to make biscuits? <laughs> Probably. There you go. Okay. Oh, now that's on my chest. Okay. <laughs> uh, then you have a shirt on because. <laughs> He might be yeah, I wore clothes to he today's might recording he, session. He, he might be rooting around for a nip. Because that's what biscuits are. They want milk. Okay. So yeah. yeah, there are bits and pieces of them kind of being correct. And then this is also where friend George talked about getting into the kitchens. Mm -hmm. Which is the most important clue that pushes this forward. It's very subtle. Hermione it's just like something like, that happens oh, in conversation. And then they're like, oh wait, now we're suspicious. Why? Also, wait, can I also say how disappointed I am in you and not making a dick joke about tickling that pear? I'm sorry, are you talking to yourself? No, I'm talking about to you. Because you've been improving on your dick jokes, but come on, tickling a pear, it's right there for I you. I was saving it for you. No, you weren't. You, I didn't. <laughs> come on. It was a good opportunity. I, I'm not good at these things. Yes, you are. You're fine. But that's how you get into the kitchen. You tickle a pear on a painting and then it turns into a doorknob. We're not quite there yet, but they kind of touch on that in this moment. I'm going to say it now, too. I feel like in other interpretations of the Harry Potter book, as we get into it in the future, they mix up how to get into the kitchens with how to get into the Hufflepuff's common room. I've seen some references of like, oh, this is how you find the Hufflepuff common room. It's like a bowl of fruit and stuff. Have you noticed that? I feel like that seems familiar. Hello, Bentley. That I've heard that. I think that sometimes when I hear things like that, I just ignore them because I know they're wrong. So then I don't commit them to memory. Yeah. I can see that kind of being a mix-up because obviously the Hufflepuff common room is by the kitchen and everything. But I definitely have seen that reference. And I'm talking like in like mainstream media. I've seen it referenced sometimes. After all of this, we go to care of magical creatures. We sure do. Why the fuck does Hagrid not have a curriculum? It has been several months now of these fucking scroots. You ask a question like you believe there is an answer to it, and you know there is. You know not. that Hagrid doesn't have one because he's not that bitch. Which he's is also he's Hagrid. <sighs> he should have a curriculum if he I, wants to be in this job I for a while. I agree with you. I mean, I get it. Dumbledore is lenient and everything, I but I agree with you. I wish that Flitwick or McGonagall or Sprout would be like take him under his yeah, wing. Yeah, like listen, Hagrid. I don't think any of them taught Hagrid. Actually, I'm going to tell you right now, screw all those other hoes, it'd be about to be Flitwick. Because little tiny Flitwick and big old Hagrid. Oh my god. Buddy I'd cop. watch that Buddy Cop buddy movie. Buddy Cop. <laughs> someone write the Buddy Cop movie of Flitwick and Hagrid. <laughs> the buddy, yeah, someone write the, the Buddy Cop fan fiction of that. Because <laughs> it's totally Flitwick, first of all, in, yeah. in that situation. Who is maybe the only one old enough to have maybe taught Hagrid? I don't think maybe. Sprout is very old and we know McGonagall was not at Hogwarts then. Yeah. In spite of what it, Fantastic Beasts I was just going to say, except for that loophole. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Because Hagrid is be, older than we think he is. He's always. in his 60s or something, mid-60s. Yeah. It would be so cool for them to give a little bit more of, like, um, actual teaching advice to him. Because he needs it. We should not be focusing on fire lobsters for months on end. No. When we still don't know the purpose of them. And every time we see them, they're causing havoc. Basically, Hagrid is using class time to learn more about these things. Things that he's fascinated by, which can be useful to a point, 
Sprouts got him doing all kinds of shit yeah, for Sprout her. Yeah, but Sprout knows about the But she knows it. And she does not using booba tubers for 16,000 years. Are booba tubers supposed to call your titties? No. I that is not. That. I just thought of that. Do you squeeze pus out of them? Oh my God. I know. That's disgusting. I know the answer to But like, that's the next question, obviously. Um, But I think that he's just doing that wrong. Sure, you could have done a class about them and then followed up with them down the road. It's Christmas, almost. First half of the year is almost over. You used three months on these fuckers. No. That was a big takeaway for me. It was like, oh my God. Like the last time when he used them, it was almost like a diversion tactic to be like, hey, Harry, I know you didn't put your name in the Goblet of Fire, which is fine. Like, I like it a lot more there. Here, it feels like a little bit much. Then, of course, Rita comes in and it's like, first of all, for Rita, bad timing. It's also kind of funny that she comes in and she's like, ooh, what are these creatures? Oh, Harry's here as well. Like, she's so fucking slimy. Here it is a little bit slimy. I will, though, then again say the way that she does approach things about wanting to sit down with Hagrid for an interview about these creatures and stuff. And like even talking about the column or whatever, I think is done kind of in the right way. But then when you hear about like how she approaches it later, part of me actually feels like it's a little bit of her going off track from what I've, well, at least what I've been thinking of her, because I've been trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, obviously. Right. We don't know what she's truly about, so that's fair. Up to this point, even, like, when she sees Harry there, it's almost been like she's a fan of Harry. Even though the stuff that she is doing is actually hurting his reputation, because he's basically in, like, fucking middle school, or... At, at this point, maybe young in high school or whatever. The fact that she is trying to get the story spun in a direction that Harry's like some sort of delinquent. And I actually really like, I don't remember which one it was that said this, but one of them is like, oh, they should have gone to Snape. It was Harry. It was Harry. The, the response that the trio have to her being in this class or showing out of, out of fucking nowhere is fascinating because... Harry clearly has already dealt too much with this shit where he's like, well, yeah, it's boring to make me a tragic hero. Now I got to be something else. Like he has accepted his fate and it's hilarious. He's also just like, well, Snape would say all kinds of shit if she wanted that. I just like how he approaches it with that mm -hmm. understanding. There's nothing he can do about it. At this I point, it's better that. too, because he's not under as much pressure. He got through the first task. Yeah. People aren't, hating on him quite as much and most importantly he's just feeling better because he has ron on his side so like now it's just like well facts are facts this bitch is a bitch it does kind of confuse me at the very least because i feel like her previous articles go against the whole harry is like a delinquent or a bad boy so it'll be interesting to see how this evolves more in the future i wonder okay. if those articles didn't get the response that she was looking for so this is a new approach it was this kind of like boy wonder thing and now she is going off in a tangent i will say i want to know how she is able to track that does she use google analytics they got it early up in the 90s in the magic world. That's what it is. As someone who purchases advertising, I find it very hard to sometimes track <laughs> print ads. Does she use QR codes? She uses magic, Adam. <laughs> After this, we go to... Adam's favorite class. That's right. Data analyst. <laughs> Divination. Divination. <laughs> Don't know why I and said it like that. I have a bone to pick with Trelawney. Okay. She 
talks about Pluto. She talks about like Pluto being the reason that Harry's going to die or something like that. She says, "We're gonna make you die." Uh, Love Trelawney. Professor Trelawney, who had been so pleased with the pair of them when they had been predicting their own horrific deaths, quickly became irritated as they snickered through her explanation of the various ways in which Pluto could disrupt everyday life. So yes, everyday life I think is important there because Pluto is a bitch. Technically, the bitch planet is Saturn. I feel like I talked about that in one of the last episodes. I think you have, yeah. yeah. Pluto, though, as you get like further into the solar system, the planets tend to rule over an entire generation based on their like orbit or whatever. That feels like it is condemning an entire generation to certain tragedies, which, I mean, as a millennial and all the trauma that we've experienced over time. Right. Maybe there's something to that. Well, I mean, these kids are about to be in a fucking crazy so there, battle. So there is that, too, years, if, so. if you think about it. And, like, when you also think about just how the way history works, sometimes it is a generational thing as well. So disrupting everyday life, because her focus is death, it also has that kind of undertone, like, oh, a whole generation going to die, which is a little bit foreboding. The other thing about Trelawney is, and I didn't really pick up on it until this reading, her constant focus on death, perhaps, is because death is inevitable. Everybody going to die. Yes. We get glimpses of her actually knowing her stuff. However, maybe she focuses on this because there's a lack of confidence or a high level of criticism of her not being able to actually be like the real shit. Because she always does talk about like you have it or you don't, blah, blah, blah. There's this death stuff. Death is more predictable. Maybe it's like her doubting herself and her craft. And so that's why she focuses on it so much. Am I wrong to think that interpretation is more objective than subjective? The way that you see something has a lot to do with what the outcome is anyway. That's just like a tarot reading. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so she's in kind of a very pressured situation when people don't understand divination, which is why she teaches it. People think divination, what she's supposed to do is be able to be like, you're going to die this day. This is how it's going to happen. This is the person you're going to be with. And they want solid stuff, which is why Hermione doesn't fit in it. I have talked about over and over about how like divination is a humanity and it's not precise because it is up to interpretation when i do a tarot reading for myself i ask a specific question and then i look at what i see and i try to relate it back to it in some way so there are times where i might get a card and i'll be kind of confused and i'll need to like pick another card to add like some sort of additional information to it Learning in itself, unless it is something that is very concrete, like history, like if it's taught in the right way, yeah. that like this is something that actually happened. Or math. Like even science can, is like an experiment. It's based on hypothesis and yeah. through, going through that scientific method journey, which I almost kind of see in a lot of these classes, including transfiguration and charms and potions and everything. Like here, I feel like that is more prevalent. But in the same respect, divination is not as much about creating these experiments and and working in like a lab setting if you will to an extent yes because they're doing things like birth charts and everything but it's more along the lines of actual research and then trying to interpret it like you would in an english class or a philosophy class right that's kind of the beauty of it and i really appreciate how you called it a humanity because that is very much the kind of feel that you get from it i also have said before how like i feel like divination is a basis 
to magic in like the real world, if you will, like if you're actually practicing and stuff, that might be more of like a personal thing. If you are trying to work with energies or spirits or something, it's probably good to consult your divination tools first to see like, mm -hmm. okay, is this the right thing to do? So that's why I say it's a base thing and I'm sure that the divination doesn't work for some other people too. I like it a lot. That's what I mostly focus on, obviously. Overall, my main point here was kind of looking at the character of Trelawney and looking at this is the way that she communicates these things. This is what she often brings up. And maybe it has something to do with more about her character yeah. and her fear of not being taken seriously or being judged. I think a lot of like what happens to her in the fifth book and her maybe relying on this as a crutch. Yeah, I think that it's important to remember that like that there's more of a history to her. I will say, though, Harry's not wrong to be over it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's fine. She's done this 400 times already. It's the same sort of thing as like what he's over Rita Skeeter. Yeah. So they head back to the common room after looking for Hermione at the library and she's nowhere to be found. Hermione comes up behind them. The fat lady is sassy as fuck. And she's like, you just fucking bothered me. You woke me up. You made me open this door and now you're going to go in the fucking room. Very rude. But she has a fun moment in the next chapter too, which I'm just mentioning it now because it's the fat lady being amazing. And like, this is another instance where like, it would have been cool for them to bring Don French back in the movie because mm -hmm. this is definitely a Don French kind of feel. And they go into the kitchen. They tickle that pear. It's a shame that that's not in the movie too. Can you imagine how fun that would be? This scene doesn't make sense to me, of course, but Hermione is like, I have something to show you, I have something to show you. The boys are like, what the fuck? We don't need to see the, oh my God, it's all these house elves and they're working for no money, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets accosted by Dobby. I loved reading Dobby in this chapter. I loved reading all of them, honestly. Once we got oh. to this scene, I was like, this has so much richness to it. It really does. And... I knew Dobby was coming back in this book, obviously. It just wasn't at the forefront of my mind as I'm rereading this chapter. And I'm like, oh, that's right. We get Dobby back. And it was just like a breath of fresh air. It's, it's the same feeling that I get or a similar feeling that I get whenever we see Haggard at the first time in every book. But know? this is different because we never see Dobby. Exactly. We never see Dobby. We haven't seen the kitchens yet, which is very, very exciting. That's fun. And I love all these little elves. You know, they really are darling creatures. And of course you're rooting for them and you're rooting for what Hermione wants for them. Even if it's not what not, they want. Even if it's not what they want. This juxtaposition, and of course this, it's written in this very specific way, between Dobby and Winky both getting jobs and Winky having this like generational connection to the Crouches. Even the way that she's like dressed, like she's refusing to give up her clothes. <laughs> which are stained and burned and everything. Yeah, she a mess. And there's Dobby here who is just kind of like living his best life. Dobby likes being free, but not too free. I know. Like, don't pay me too much. Like, it's almost like he's been given this new lease on life, but he's still who he is. He doesn't want to get ahead of himself or away from himself, you know? This is what's ingrained in him. He can't help but want to serve and everything well and that's i think the point is you look at all this and you go they're uncomfortable when disgust is being paid for doing work disgust is getting care if they need care. like this is when i go yes i love that hermione wants this i don't know where to direct her to do something about it either but you can see it's so ingrained in them and that's 
sad. It's sad, but it's not. Yes, from our perspective or from Hermione's perspective, it's a little bit sad. As free beings to do what we want. But hey, this is how they are. They need a certain amount of like structure. They need to have right. that like helpful. I mean, I definitely see that too. But how much of that is brainwashing of generations of doing the same thing? Well, there's that too. Like, obviously we don't get the whole history of house elves. That's very possible. Something else that made me think of is, you know, being yourself. And Dobby is not really being himself if it's ingrained in him and he's trying to step outside this box. Whereas Winky is being very vulnerable and mm -hmm. she is really caught up in these emotions, which she's not human, but... Let's apply it in a human experience. She is just feeling these emotions, which is a human thing. She is getting down there in the vulnerability like she should be doing. And she's getting judged for it. Yeah. It feels a little bit wrong to me. Yeah, I feel bad that she is looked at that way by the other elves. Well, not even just the other elves, but like there's one moment where Dobby says something about like getting paid and Hermione's like, don't you want that too, Winky? And Winky's just sobbing and nobody's like giving her any empathy. It's rough and there's a character who says something like, oh, she'll get over it. Like she's just going through it. She needs to... I think that it's Hermione actually. She needs to like get through her emotions, which that I think is maybe a correct ish statement because harry says let's hope they don't look too closely at winky and hermione says oh she'll cheer up once the shock's worn off and she's gotten used to hogwarts she'll see how much better off she is without the crouch man so maybe that is a little bit not correct yes you have to work through your own emotions and stuff but like just oh she'll get over it is also very complacent response to mm -hmm. it's more than just this these creatures are built in a different way since we were just talking about divination i think this actually is the fair thing to discuss Hermione is a very factual-based person. Trelawney is correct, I think, in the third book when she calls her limited, which sounds like an insult, but really that's just her personality. She's not... She's she, not open-minded. She's not open-minded. I mean, that's not necessarily true. Like, let's look back a few chapters she, ago. She isn't not open-minded, but she's also very particular in the way she approaches certain things in her own experience of the world from her own eyes i think that she is more open-minded because the reason why i say let's take a step back is how she approached harry a few chapters ago where they went for the walk and she told him you know you need to write for to serious you need to look at things from ron's perspective she's looking at it through like a human perspective Whereas things with like divination, you need to have an open mind for, or for this in realizing that these creatures are different and that they go about their business in a different way. It is limited. That's fine. I mean, every single person, every single being is limited in their own right. This is just the way that Hermione operates. And she is going outside of that a little bit. And in this instance, kind of cutting herself a little bit short, even though I don't think we're at that point quite yet. There are some chapters in the future that I'm thinking about where that will become a little bit more topical. Even once Dobby starts talking about the Malfoys in a bad way, and then he starts like inflicting pain on himself. It's like, this is pretty programmed into him like this is your poster child here and he can't even say something bad about the Malfoys and I think that that's where Hermione should be able to see that it's more than just telling them hey you deserve better yeah and trying to use Dobby as poster boy which he'd probably do because he's Dobby he'd be like yeah you know you're totally try. right he totally he's, he's wonderful but 
that should be a red flag for her that this is even ingrained in this out of the ordinary little house elf. And it had to come from Harry that said, you can say mean things about the Malfoys. I wonder if he would have even been able to do that had someone else said it. You know how much he loves Harry. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He was even saying, Dumbledore says we can call him these names. And he was so tense about it. Yeah. So yeah, I think that the fact that it's so ingrained in them is a bigger, deeper problem than our precious, perfect, wonderful Hermione can handle, especially without any sort of resources. Yeah, she has such tunnel vision at this point. It's how it has to go with that. I think she's yeah. ignoring a lot of things. The library cannot answer her questions, unfortunately. Yeah. But in speaking about talking shit, this is where Winky kind of talks a little bit of shit. Like, she's like, I'm not going to talk shit about the crowds, but Bagman, fuck that guy. Right? But I'm going to tell you why. And then she goes back to cry. <laughs> right. And you're like, well, you can't just fucking just say that and not tell us anything. That's like when someone says something, you're like, oh, that guy is terrible. Oh, really? Why? I can't tell you. No, 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 no. I you mean, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what Winky does. You can't do that. You can't lay that down and then just be like, mm, I'm not telling anymore. Now, in this case, of course, I think it's more ingrained in what a house elf is. While it is frustrating, I think it's kind of interesting and fun because in the last chapter, obviously, I wanted him to lose the last chapter because I thought it was very creepy. But you're starting to see some layers of Bagman. Ew, <laughs> layers of Bagman. That's, that's the name of his porno. <laughs> That are kind of being ripped away where you're starting to see there's something not quite right there. Bagman is such a good red herring. I like how Winky, who doesn't really get to say or do much until the very end of this book now, gives us that little tidbit. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Honestly, it plants the seed and doesn't really do anything else. So it's able to kind of marinate there for a while. At the end of the chapter, they're walking back. Ron's eating some snacks. And I really appreciate because we just had this conversation about how Hermione is very narrow-minded about certain things. Hermione always gets humor and I love that. I think a lot of people who have the kind of focus and drive and energy that Hermione has doesn't get humor like she does. I do. I said a lot of people. I didn't say (laughs) no people. They make the joke about how you can't say anything bad about Mr. Crouch in front of Percy. And Haran says something about Percy wouldn't know something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whatever. He, Percy again. Yeah, he makes some kind of Percy joke. And I just like that Hermione is in the middle of that. I think she holds her own with them as far as the jokes. She doesn't make as many jokes, but she appreciates them. And when she does make the jokes or the sarcasm, she's pretty fucking great. And I like when the chapter ends with the three of them just kind of concluding everything and the chapter kind of comes together in a nice It's a nice, way. neat end of the chapter, yeah. for sure. Fuck, Mary kill. This chapter talks about house elves. So we haven't met one of these house elves yet, but we're going to include them in here. So Dobby, Winky, and Creature, I feel like. This is incredibly easy. I wonder if I'm going to go the way that you think I'm going to go. Are you, are you going to kill Creature? No. You're going to fuck Creature? Yeah. Oh my god, that is nasty. I'm gonna marry Dobby and I'm gonna kill Winky. I hope you use some protection. Why are you gonna kill Winky? Because I don't really care about her as much. You were just a few chapters ago, you were like, oh my god, you had a lot of issues with how Winky was being treated. Oh no, I mean, I like Winky, she's important. However, in the grand scheme of things, as far as how they play into the storyline, Creature is more important. And we're not talking about if he's important, we're talking about. That is my choice. And also. Does, does Creature have a big dick I don't know about? Maybe. But also, like, that bitch, she's just gonna cry the whole time. I don't wanna hear her talk about Crouch the whole goddamn time. Get out. Go you can away. start making her cry about something else. 
Oh my god. Well, anyway, Dobby and I are gonna live happily ever after, and that fucker ain't gonna die now. He's gonna live with me. I'm gonna kill Creature. Creature is a fucking asshole. He is an asshole. Absolutely. I don't care to fuck or marry him. Okay, so this is maybe a little bit problematic, because it might, like, it might suggest that I'm trying to fix Winky and stuff, but I want to take her under my wing. I'm gonna marry I'm gonna marry the lady. I don't know, there's just something about her that I'm like, I feel like I need to bring you in and give you a nice hug. I think you would do a nice job taking care of me. I'm fucked up. That would be a good time. There are some creepy, creepy videos of like Dobby being sexual online. I don't need to know those exist. Well, too bad because we're probably gonna watch it later. <laughs> yeah, well, he my husband. Knows. You're gonna get some new opinions about your new husband very <laughs> soon because yeah, I'm gonna share these with you. I knew you were gonna fucking do that too. Do what? House elves. I knew at some point it was gonna. I happen. mean, of course, of course, we're gonna fucking marry everything up in this. Well, the movie isn't really, really here. in this chapter. It doesn't so. happen. Little pieces that happen, them listening to the egg. It's a very fun scene. It's I think it's That part's done. fun. And then they have awkward shit between oh my gosh. Uh, Harry and Ron. So we've already I, gotten through that from the this book. This is a little bit more in the book. Yes, I hate how this is done. Ron seems so much more awkward in the moment. It feels more like he's groveling, which... You could say that Ron deserves it, but it, the way this is done in the book is done in such a more like natural and correct way, I think. Ron is unfortunately a very problematic character, especially analyzing this book now, however many years later um, in the series and Ron's character arc. I will, I will always stick by my own personal analysis that Ron gets better and isn't like how he is when he's a kid because people can change and get better. The movie just continues to make him extra... Ugh. He's so he's much like, more oh, moody and so moody. weird. And I don't think it's Rupert Grint. No, Rupert I, Grint is wonderful. I also his, think it's the direction. It's weird. They just do some weird stuff. Rupert Grint is lovely in the movie. He's the only one that can pull off the hair in the movie. I think that he's consistent enough for you to be able to tell that it's the direction and not the actor. Yeah, I think so. Also, the entire common room, they were just having this fucking banger and they just all completely paused to listen to this private conversation. Yeah. Like, Hermione yeah. even mentioned something about it. It's really, really bizarre. She's just like, boys. Like I said before, I dislike a lot of things about the sixth movie, but I think that they did the teenage angst and awkwardness much better than they did in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, it's just not done well, period. And then there's nothing else. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot more like little instances, I think, in some of these later movies. Even in the last movie, there were like touches here and there. Most of this is obviously not included because it includes a lot of classroom work. We don't obviously see the scroots at all in the movie. Do they even go to class in the fourth movie? Well, they go to Defense Against the Dark Arts. Well, of but... course they do because they have to. But that might be the only one. Yeah, I don't think they go to class other than that. Some things I understand needing to cut, but man, there are some other little moments that I think they injected in like the next chapter. I'm like, this was not necessary. This is not how it's done in the book. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to make it more appealing on screen. It makes me think of things like fucking Filch running down the corridor when they're about to 
talk about the Triwizard. Yeah, it's just weird it's shit. It's so just bizarre. Similarly, you know, the scene of, and that's actually referenced here too, the scene that we talked about where Harry Neville down by the lake and he's marveling over sea creatures mm-hmm. or plant life or whatever. Ron's like, no, I told you about the dragons. You see, I, because I said so-and-so was looking oh for so-and-so. Looking. That whole Didn't bullshit. Didn't need that. It wasn't necessary at all. I mean, it did at least have like a reason later in the movie, but still. Right. And like, then you're like, oh, that's fun. And that's funny. And I do like Daniel's reaction to that when he's like, who could possibly figure yeah. that out? It's great delivery. Again, these actors are doing great work. The two of them, I think, especially in this movie, get to have a little bit of this like understated comedic interaction like that scene, which is great for a movie. And I get it. And I've said a hundred times, you have to look at it differently if you're making it into a movie, whatever. But I don't want that. I want what's on the page. Yeah. So what grade does the movie get this time? <sighs> does it get a grade? It gets an F. It's not even in there. I think it gets an incomplete. <laughs> That's probably more accurate. I mean, they have to show the egg. They have to. Right. Like, there's no way they couldn't cut that. But the whole Ron Harry makeup moment, yeah. it's really done in a way that, like you said, does not capture the teenage yeah. angst as good as the sixth movie. This one's an incomplete versus when zero things are in the movie and then the disc gets a zero. Mm-hmm. It's like you didn't fucking turn it in. Yeah. But, and then there are those times where they just fuck it all up and they just get an F. <laughs> Speaking of assigning points, here we go. Plus five to Neville. We didn't really talk about him too much, but he's getting picked on a lot and he gets turned into a bird. I know, he does, and that's really rude. Plus five to the fat lady because she's sassy and it's actually Dawn French, so plus five to her. Plus ten to Dumbledore. Why did I give Dumbledore points? I don't know, because he's in Hagrid's corner, maybe? Maybe. For some reason, I gave Dumbledore points. Because he hasn't fired Hagrid yet. I'm just going to keep giving those points to Dumbledore. He gets points. Plus 10 to Dobby and Winky because they are in this this chapter. They got new jobs. (laughs) They got new jobs. They got new jobs. Why do we say that? Because I have to be 10 points to them because they're in this chapter. Okay, why didn't you give 10 points to everybody? Plus 10 points to Dobby and Winky because they're instrumental in this chapter. They got new jobs. They reveal a little bit more about like the inner workings of Hogwarts, but they also reveal a little bit more about also just like the plot, Mr. Bagman, and they reveal more about their species along the little side quest that Hermione is doing. More red herrings. Thank you, Bagman. Negative five to Trelawney because <gasps> the thing that she said about Pluto doesn't really match up with what I know about astronomy. If you disagree, feel free to write in. I think that it's a misstep and it did give me a little bit more insight about like her maybe doubting herself a little bit more and trying to rely on death as a crutch. And I give 10 to Hagrid because you need a curriculum. A few chapters ago, it was the first time we met the Scroots. I was like, I'm not going to take points away from him. I'd rather give points to Trelawney because Trelawney, I thought, was having a good teaching moment. But we still got the Scroots. So let the Scroots die and then move on to a creature that isn't fucking terrifying and stupid. Let the Scroots die. That's it. Very nice. Next time, we're going to read nothing. Chapter 22. Yes, but we're not going to read it to you. We're just going to talk about it. Yep. The Unexpected Task. The Unexpected Task. What do you think that's about? What task could it be? Oh, something not good. Well, Kirkley is here. It could be the... I, I don't know. I'm completely unprepared. I was going to say something funny about Filch or something, but I ain't got nothing. I mean, you all know I don't got nothing. I'm not the funny one. That's his job. Ding dong. 
Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by me, Adam Bowers. And published by me, Tara Corkery, and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please review and rate us five stars on your app of choice, and be sure to share us to all of your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Sometimes I update that. Basic Snitches on Instagram. Also, we have a Facebook page. And email us anything you want to or specifically answers to our questions on our segments. BasicSnitches at gmail.com. But don't send us dick pics, please. That's nasty. But do send us liquor. Thanks. Yeah. Alohomora! Oh, now people can get into your house. They're on their toe. But they don't matter because now you're a water goblin. Bye. Bye.